Well, let me ask you to turn your Bibles to Jeremiah 29. It was already mentioned, we are in our third week's uh, study of this series entitled People That Pray. And, uh, and so we want to remind ourselves of the importance of prayer, why we pray. It's a pillar of our church. Uh, we say we believe firmly in the power of prayer. And so I don't know about you, but I know in my own walk with the Lord, if there's one thing that I believe I always need to grow in and how often it has a tendency to slip over the proverbial table in my life, it is prayer. And we've defined prayer this way. It's talking with my heavenly Father, knowing He is listening. Like, how awesome is that, right? Let's just stop there. That I get to talk with the God of the universe. And the God of the universe is my heavenly Father. Not because of anything good that I've done, because, but because I've placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I believe He lived a perfect life for me. To replace my sinful life. He died on the cross for my sins. He rose again three days later. And I have a relationship with the God of the universe. And I get to call him Father. We looked at that at the beginning of this series. And not just that I get to talk with my Heavenly Father. But he actually wants to listen. Like he listens. I never get a busy signal. I'll never hear him say, would you leave me alone? He's always listening and this is even better, and he's answering for my good and his glory. And that's how we've defined prayer. And so we looked the first week at the importance of prayer. Last week we looked at really getting intentional with, man, we need to be praying for our church, and that means praying for myself and praying for those that are in my family that call this place our home and others that I'm involved in a life group or whatever that may be, short plug, sign up for life groups after the service. I mean, that we're praying for our church and what we're praying for, we looked at last week in Ephesians 1 that the greatest prayer that we can pray is that I would grow in my understanding of who I am in Christ and what I have in Christ. So this morning we're going to focus on this. And it's the title of the message. It's simply this. Pray for our city. That's what we're going to focus on. When we gather together this Wednesday at our office at 7 o'clock. We're going to focus on praying for, for our city. And praying for our nation and world. And so if we're going to go to Jeremiah 29. Can we be honest this morning? We're in church, right? So... So think about this. When I said turn to Jeremiah 29, what did you think of? Ooh, he's going to preach on what? What verse? 11, right? And listen, I got Jeremiah 29, 11. It's on my wall in our house. But I would venture to guess that the only thing that we know about the book of Jeremiah is verse 11, right? And so let me give you a little context before we read verses 4 through 7, because what we're going to read this morning are some tremendous verses, and I know you're like, all right, I'm going to cheat, I'm going to read ahead, and that's fine, but let me give you the context of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a priest, and he lived in Jerusalem, he lived in the southern kingdom of Judah, and he was called by God to be a prophet, and God called him to be a prophet so that he could proclaim to the southern kingdom of Judah that judgment is coming. You know, Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet because the reality is, is Jeremiah was not given some, some really sexy, awesome thing called by God. Like all, all, his call by God was to just say, judgment's coming. Like after a while, you'd probably stop coming to church, right? 
But that was Jeremiah's message because here's the reality. God was calling Jeremiah to preach judgment was coming because the southern kingdom of Israel was going the way of the northern kingdom. northern kingdom already had abandoned God and the southern kingdom was worshiping other gods and practicing idolatry and their leaders were, were, being, were, were practicing social injustice to the widows and the orphans and to the immigrants in the, in the area there of the southern kingdom. And Jeremiah's message was, repent, you need to turn from your sin because if you don't, judgment is coming. And Babylon is going to come and going to siege the southern kingdom and overthrow the southern kingdom and you're going to be captive by the Babylonians. And that was Jeremiah's message. It's chapters 1 through 24. Chapter 25, he talks about how King Nebuchadnezzar is coming. And then you have chapters 26 through 45, which is more judgment towards Israel. But in the midst of these chapters, you have these verses of hope sprinkled in. Like many of us don't understand that when we come to Jeremiah 29 and in and, and, and verse 11, and we know that verse, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for your evil, to give you a hope and a future. Like that's in the middle of a lot of judgment that God is saying is coming for Israel's sin. It's not like this happy, feel-good book. And so Jeremiah writes about all this judgment, but then in, in chapter 29, we have some verses of hope, some verses of perspective in the midst of the judgment that's coming for their sin. And so would you look at verse 4? Look at what it says. Jeremiah 29, 4 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, there's going to be a key phrase this morning, whom I have sent. Like just circle that, underline that in your Bible. Into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And look at verse 5. This is interesting. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat the produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and not do not decrease. So what he's saying here is he's not contradicting what he said earlier if you're wondering and saying, well, we want you to intermarry with the Babylonians. That's not what he's saying. He's saying marry son, your sons and your daughters with other Israelites. So he's not contradicting what he says in other passages of Scripture. God's not doing that. God doesn't contradict him, himself, say God doesn't do that. It's not what he does. He's saying intermarry with other Israelites. And look at what he says in verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city. For where, you ought to underline this and circle this, I have sent you. So two times in these verses, God reminds Israel, Israel, I've sent you here. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find welfare. Can we just put ourselves in this passage of Scripture? Like I encourage you when you're reading throughout narratives and passages of Scripture, whether it's the old and the new, put yourself there in the story, in the text. Can we do that? Like, think about it. You're an Israelite, and you have 
been left your home and they dragged you from Jerusalem now to Babylon and you're sitting there in Babylon and you're saying every day, I wish I could go where? Home. And Jeremiah said, this is going to happen. And you're going to be in captivity. And he's going to say in verse 10, you're going to be there for 70 years. And you would think that they would expect God to say, buy your time, repent, and long for the day when you'll go home. But he doesn't do that, does he? Instead, he says, I want you to invest yourself in this place. I mean, God must have sounded like a realtor for Babylon. Think about it. Now, I was totaling up ourselves. So in the last 13 years in our family, we've moved seven times. It's a lot of times. Not all to different places of the country, but, but different places, whether it was renting or buying or whatever it was. And one thing that I've gotten to be fairly like knowledgeable of is like buying a home and selling a home. So think about it. You're looking for a home, and what do you do? You go and you look, and you go on the different websites, and, or you may hire a realtor, and you look on those websites, and you read the descriptions of the homes, and you look at the pictures, and I find it so interesting on how the things that are written about certain homes to make them sound amazing. Like, let me just give you a few examples. Think about this term. The house has potential. You ever hear that phrase? The house has potential, a.k.a. it's a dump, but the house has potential. Here's another one. The house is charming. It's so charming. You know what that means? It's as small as a cardboard box, <laughs> right? Here's another one. I thought this is often used. This house is a starter home. You know what that means? The whole thing needs to be gutted, right? right? We, use, we use these terms, and if you're a realtor today, this is not bashing on you. I'm so thankful for our realtors. I'm thankful for the realtor that helped me find, our, us find a place here. So don't go there, all right? Don't go there. But I wonder if that's how God came across to the people of Israel. Like, God, Seriously? Build here, invest here, plant stuff here, do business here, have kids here, make this place my home? Seriously? You're putting lipstick on a pig. Seriously? No, no, no. This isn't my home. This isn't my home. But I find it so interesting that God doesn't do that because I emphasize it already where he says in the text in verse 4, listen, Israel, I've sent you here. He says at the end of verse 7, hey, you're here, seek the welfare of the city because I've sent you here. And my point is, is that God did not want the children of Israel to think of themselves as exiles, but rather to think of themselves as missionaries. 
to realize that, oh, even though they longed for home and that was good and they needed to understand that where they were were because of their disobedience, but even in the midst of that for the people who necessarily didn't worship other gods but yet were still in captivity and wanted to serve God and were longing for home and wondering when this captivity would be done, that God reminds them, listen to me, you're missionaries. I've sent you here. And I've sent you here for a purpose, so that you could be a light and a testimony that you're a people called out by God in a pagan place. See, here's the idea that I want you to get today. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Don't allow your future destiny to negate your present responsibility. We spent a whole message last week looking at what our future destiny is, looking at what our inheritance is in Christ, looking at our identity in Jesus Christ, and for that to keep us grounded, for that to be the thing that we grow in our understanding and awareness of. We spent a whole message on that. But listen, sometimes we can so focus on the future that, God, I'm just waiting for you to come back, and I'm just buying my time. God, I've retired from my workplace and I've done my 40 or 50 years and I've seen my grandkids and they're all married now. God, I'm just buying my time. God, I'm waiting for you to come back. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's not allow our future destiny to negate our present responsibilities. It's a beautiful thing that we have a future destiny. It's a beautiful thing that I know when I pass from this life to the next that I don't have to wonder where I'm going to go, that I know I'm going to be with Jesus forever in heaven for all of eternity. It's a beautiful thing. But listen, my future destiny ought to fuel my present responsibility. It ought to fuel me to see myself as a missionary, even though I long for home, even though I long for the day that God will come back and make all things right. So what is my present responsibility? Because if we said, don't allow your future destiny to negate your present responsibility, then I believe it's important that we make sure we're clear on what our present responsibility is. So here's the first thing I see. Number one, I see it in verses five and six. View yourself and or your family as missionaries. When's the last time you thought of yourself or your family as missionaries? You know, we handed out this card with things on the back that we as a church were specifically praying for in regards to our church, in regards to our city, in regards to our nation and world. If you didn't grab one of these, you can grab them on the way out. Let me just read to you the things that, that were listed on here in regards to praying for our city. First thing, pray for our neighbors, our coworkers, and friends who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel with these people. Pray for how you can help meet the physical and spiritual needs of your community, where you live in your neighborhood or wherever that may be. Pray for our church as a whole to identify physical and spiritual needs of Winston-Salem, and pray for the spiritual revival of this city. But listen to me. We're going to miss out on those opportunities if we don't embrace our present responsibility. And the way that we do that is first viewing ourselves as a missionary. 
Because isn't that exactly what God calls the children of Israel to do? He says, hey, just don't long for a home, but what you need to do is you need to build houses, live in them, plant gardens, take wives, sons, and daughters, multiply, bear sons and daughters, make this place your temporary home. I've sent you here. You know, I grew up hearing this phrase, and I've grown to dislike it. And here was this phrase, and, and I was guilty of using it, and, and probably you were too, you know. I mean, God, I felt like God was leading me into pastoral ministry when I was a junior in high school. And I remember saying, I believe that God is calling me into ministry. And I wish I could take that phrase back. I know what it means. I know what it implies. It's often used in that God is leading me to go into like vocational. That's a better word. Vocational ministry. That I'm giving my life to it. It's going to not just be my, my calling on my life, but also my job, my employment, whether that's a missionary, whether that's working at a church, wherever it may be. I get what it means. But I don't like that phrase. Because it gets us into thinking the only people called into full-time ministry are our pastors, our missionaries, someone who works at a church. And I want you to understand this and get this in your mind today because it is fundamental to you viewing yourself as a missionary. Every single person who puts their trust in Jesus Christ is in full-time ministry. Look at the person next to you and just say that. You're in full-time ministry. Just go ahead and do that. Did that scare you? Did that scare you? But that's the reality. Every one of us are in full-time ministry. I don't care if you work at a bank. I don't care if you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad. I don't care if you teach or whatever it may be or whatever your job is and, and you're working in construction or we could go on and on with every single job. You're a doctor, you're a nurse, whatever it is. You are in full-time ministry. Why? Because you're a missionary. That's what God's trying to get across to the children of Israel. Children of Israel, don't buy your time. Don't just wait with the hopes that I'm going to go home one day. But embrace your present responsibility. Don't allow your future destiny to negate that. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, we know this passage well, some of us. Where Paul says he gave, some, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, he gave these offices to the church for what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We oftentimes look at that verse and say he gave us those people to do the work of the ministry. But I have a ministry just like you have a ministry, and it's no different. It's just a matter of what platform do I have and what platform do you have. You have platforms that I don't have. You have ways that you can, you can be a missionary in greater ways than I can because your platform's different than my platform. And no one's platform is more important than the other person's platform. But we're all full-time ministers of the gospel. And I wonder when is the last time you viewed yourself as such? That you went to work tomorrow and you said, I'm a missionary. 
that as you drive your kids to school, for many of you for the first day, and all the parents said, yes. And all the teachers said, it's not long enough this summer. But when you drop your kids off to school tomorrow, I wonder if you'll tell them, hey, I want you to have a great day, and I want you to understand, you're a missionary. And I don't care if you go to a Christian school or public school, because I went to a Christian school, and the same stuff went on as it did in the public school. So I'm a missionary wherever I go to school. But when's the last time we thought of ourselves as that? And I just want to give you some simple things under this idea of viewing ourselves as a missionary on how do we do that? Like, how do I grow in that? How do I embrace that? So my future destiny doesn't negate my present responsibility, but fuels it. Here's the first thing. Obey. Like, there's some things that you really don't need to pray about. You're like, did he just say that? Yeah, I did. I will never have to pray, God, do you want me to be a missionary? And I can pray it all day long, and God's never going to change his mind. Because his answer is always going to be what? Yes. So how do I view myself and my family as missionaries? Is say, it's God's will for our lives. It's God's will for my life. It's not a matter of if I'm going to do it, but when and where. God, help me to obey. Help me to see this as my calling. Help me to understand and grow that I'm in full-time ministry. Let me not fall into the trap of thinking that's not for me. I'm just supposed to go do my job. Here's the second thing. Prepare for opportunities. So we probably all have friends that are missionaries. I have many of them. You know what they do when they're going to a foreign field? They, they go to training. They learn the language. They learn the demographics. They learn what the needs are. They do all of those things. Why? So that they can then go over there prepared. And I wonder when the last time is we said, you know what? I'm going to see myself as a missionary, and I'm actually going to prepare for opportunities to share my faith. You know what's one practical way that you can do that? Because what's the biggest fear that everyone has? I don't know what to say. And you know, here's a great practical way. That the next time in your quiet time or in the weeks to come, you know what you ought to do? You ought to actually write out your salvation story. How did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Write it out. Write it out so that you can get more familiar with it on how you can share it. A great little book is a book by Greg Gilbert called What is the Gospel? And he basically says there's four things that you need to remember when you're sharing your story. Number one, who is God? Number two, who am, who am I? I'm a sinner. Number three, what did Jesus do? And that's what's the response to what I hear. And practice writing your story. And then if you're married, saying to your spouse, hey, do you mind if I practice sharing my story with you or vice versa? Or you have a friend and you're like, hey, do you mind if I practice sharing my story? Not so that it can be some slick sales pitch. That's not what I'm getting at. But it's the idea of saying, man, I'm actually going to prepare for opportunities because I understand, guess what I am? I'm a missionary. I'm a missionary. Here's the third thing, plan. Plan. See, all of us, this is what I mean by this, all of us have spheres of influence. 
Do you get that? I have a sphere of influence that you don't have, and you have one that I don't have. And here's how I like to say it, and you see that, different colors. We, have a, we each have a family. That's a sphere of influence. We have close friends. We have coworkers and neighbors. We have acquaintances or old friends. We have other people that were like, man, I really need to get to know him or her. We all have a sphere of influence. And we need to plan and we need to say to ourselves, man, I don't have that sphere of influence by accident, but wait a minute, if I remind myself that I'm a missionary and I have that present responsibility, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, that I've been given the ministry of reconciliation, that I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ, I'm a representative of His, and He's entrusted to me, He's given me what's most special in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then none of the people on that list are there by mistake. Here's another way to look at it. It's literally... Like I encourage you just taking a piece of paper and saying, okay, who in my family have yet to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior? Who of my close friends? Who of my coworkers? Who of my acquaintances? Maybe some other people. And start praying for those people. Start saying, God, would you give me an opportunity today to share my story with them? Here's what you find out. You find out, man, I had no idea that I had that many people around me who needed to hear the greatest message that could ever be told is how God loved them through Jesus Christ. Or here's another what we find out. I need to get around a lot more people that don't know Jesus. It's actually kind of a refreshing thing. <laughs> like I remember when I was in Naples and I took a motorcycle class and learning to ride a motorcycle and, and I went to Harley Davidson, right? So definitely going to meet some People that know Jesus and some that don't. And, uh, and I remember I went there and I purposely did not say, thankfully they didn't ask, what do you do in orientation? Because I know when I say I'm a pastor, everybody scatters like cockroaches when the lights come on. And so I just kept it, kept it close to my chest and, and got to know the guys and talking with them and, and getting to know them. And I remember thinking, man, this is so awesome. Like, I'm not around one person who works for the church. Not that that's awesome. Not that I don't love my staff. I love them. And not that I didn't love them in Naples. I loved them. But it was just kind of kind of nice. And you know, they're talking all. And then the second day came of the two-day orientation. And it, we were having coffee or something. And it came out, what do you do? And I was like, well, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and everybody, you could tell everybody's eyes were thinking, what cuss words did I just say to this guy that I'm trying to remember that he's going to think less of me? And, and they were like, oh, my goodness. And I was like, no, 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 it's cool. It's cool, man. I'm, it's, it's awesome. It's great to get to know you. And I, I need more of that. Just so you know, that's one of the things that God convicted me of as I was preparing for this. I need to get around more people that don't know Jesus. I need to see myself as a missionary just as much as you do. Here's the second thing. And what, how do I embrace my present responsibility? I need to view myself as a missionary. Here's the second thing. I need to view the city that I live in as a mission field. Look at what Jesus says, or God says through Jeremiah in verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you. That word welfare literally is shalom. We know that word, right? It means peace, but it, it has the idea of not just peace, but wholeness, salvation. Like seek the wholeness and the salvation of the city. Where I have sent you into exile and pray 
That's what we're going to do on Wednesday. We're going to pray on its behalf for it's in its welfare, in its peace, in its wholeness, in its salvation that you will find your peace. Jeremiah's point is, is, listen, God has a master plan in where you are to make a difference for him by sharing the greatest message, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has a master plan. You know, I was thinking about our city of Winston-Salem, and, and one of the things that I did soon after I got here is I asked and said, hey, can we go through our entire database and look and see where the majority of the people live in Winston-Salem? And here's what I found interesting. So the majority of the people, some of you are like, well, I don't live there. But just stick with me. The majority of our congregation lives in these three zip codes, 103, 104, and 106. And so I was like, well, what's the population in that geography. Here it is. There's 117,422 people living in just that geography, those three zip codes. And I thought to myself, well, let me get to understand some other things about this geography where the majority of our people in our church live. And here's some things that I found interesting. There's many, but I just want to highlight these few things. The family structure in this area is described as non-traditional. Like 26 of the households in this geography have no male figure in them whatsoever. And that doesn't mean, that has nothing against moms and households because moms are the glue, but no male figure. You know what that tells me? There's a need. There's a need in our mission field. There's a need. You know what the greatest things that are plaguing this geography in our city? Here's what they were listed as. Racial prejudice. It's there. Lack of direction for life. Caring for aging parents. Finding companionship. And I read every single one of those, and you know what I say to myself? We all know what the answer is, don't we? It's the gospel. I can't live according to the gospel of Jesus Christ and be a racist. Can't do it. Can't do it. And if it's something that, that is ingrained in me, whatever the reason is, I need to go back and remind myself, wait a minute, Jesus Christ died for all men, women, and children. I can't live that way if I'm living according to the gospel. The gospel is the answer. The gospel is the answer for a lack of direction of life, is it not? The gospel is the answer for how do, I, how do I navigate thinking of death? The gospel is the answer. How do I think about companionship? The gospel's the answer. Listen to this. This is a staggering one. 18% of our population in these three zip codes go to any sort of evangelical church. Only 18%. I mean, I'm in the Bible. When I saw, I'm, like, Wait, I'm in the Bible bill. I was told I'm in the Bible bill. 18% go to any sort of evangelical church. That means approximately 96,000 people that we walk by every day if we live in those zip codes don't go to any evangelical church. And we know just because you go to a church doesn't mean you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And we need to view our city as a mission field. We need to view ourselves as missionaries. And let me just as a caveat say, 
there's no way that this church alone is going to reach 96,000 people. So we need to pray for other churches in our community that stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not in competition with them. We're in partnership with them. And that's going to be one of the things as we move forward as a church that we're going to take time out of our services every so often to pray for churches by name and to pray for the needs of those churches because we're not the only church. And we need all churches that stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ to hope to just even present the gospel to 96,000 people if that's the number in just three zip codes. And, we, and there's more than that in Winston-Salem. Jesus says, We're to be what? That light that shines in the darkness. God says it this way through Jeremiah. Again, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. Listen to me. My welfare and the welfare of the city is me thinking selflessly rather than selfishly. Because I don't know about you, but I don't know how many times I've passed by someone and said, man, there's an opportunity, and I walked right past it. Why? Because I was thinking, I don't want to take the time to talk. Just being honest. That's not good for my welfare. It's us living selflessly, not selfishly, not thinking to myself, well, I know where I'm going, so that's all I'm cared about. No, no, my future destiny doesn't negate my present responsibility. It's about embracing God's sovereignty as well. So isn't God's sovereignty an awesome thing? Like, we look at God's sovereignty in such a beautiful way when we think about trials and tribulations and our salvation, that God, you're a sovereign God. You rule over everything. But I wonder when is the last time I've thought about God's sovereignty in relationship to my mission field. That I don't live in the community of Bridgefield with one street by mistake. Not there by mistake. It's not by mistake that I live by the neighbors that I live. It's not by mistake that I shop where I shop. It's not by mistake that I go into certain places and I'm always going into those certain places. It's not by mistake. God has chosen for those places to be my spheres of influence. It's not by mistake that you work where you work. Some of you are, like, are saying, I just want to get out of this job. Why won't God give me another job? And you're much like the children of Israel saying, I'm just waiting to get out. And what God wants you to understand today is He's saying, I sent you there for a reason. You're a missionary. It's your mission field. Stop looking to get out and embrace the days that you're there. Seek the welfare of the city. And what I want to do as we close this morning is I just want to give you some practical ways that I believe we can engage our mission field. Like, how do I do that? How do I do that? Here's the first way. Starts in your home. I already mentioned before, but if you have children, it's reminding them, hey, kids, our family are missionaries. They're probably going to be like, What? What an awesome opportunity to say, yeah. We're where we live, 
and you go to school where you go to school and daddy and mommy work where we work or whatever it may be and we're where we are because we're there so that we can tell other people about Jesus. It starts in the home and then it starts in your neighborhood. Some of you, it just starts the next time you pull the trash to the end of the road and you see your neighbor, you ask them what their name is. It starts there. And your kids hang out or whatever and maybe it's like, hey, would you guys want to come over and have dinner? starts there starts with your family starts in your neighborhood here's another one it's identifying how can I meet the needs that are around me like God give me eyes to see the needs that are around me I've so often thought to myself well that's for somebody else to do I'm not in full-time ministry that's for somebody else to do oh hey Johnny let me tell you about a need that's at my workplace so that you you can help out just telling you right now, say, man, that's so awesome. So how the, how's that going to work for you? And what are the needs? And how can I minister to them? Here's the third thing. Serving in and outside the church. And I'm not saying that so I can make some big plug for you serving in the church. But here's what I found out. I am not going to be motivated to serve outside the church if I'm not already serving in the church. Serving in the church is a great way to whet my appetite to say, man, where can I serve outside the church? Life groups, you're going to be talking about that. Where can we serve outside the church a couple times a semester? Where of those places that we had crash the dash? Where can we get involved and serve outside the church? Here's another thing. Intentional with my existing relationships. Remember that sphere of influence that I showed you? Some of us need to go home. We just need to write out, man, who are those people that I need to be more intentional with? Man, I need to practice sharing my story with those that I trust, whoever it may be. Man, I want to have the opportunity to actually share that. And that leads me into the last thing. Share your gospel story. Listen to me. I'm all about representing the gospel indeed. Talked about that three weeks ago. The gospel message is exactly that. We need to share it with words. Someone, lo- I always go back to this, someone loved me enough to share the gospel with me. Someone saw themselves as a missionary and that's why they shared it with me. Am I willing to just sit on that gift that's been entrusted to me by God, that I am the minister of reconciliation. God has entrusted his message with me. Man, let's not let our future destiny negate our present responsibility. Man, let's pray for our city. Let's pray for where God has sovereignly placed us. But man, let's not just pray, but then let's actually engage.